Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here tonight. We are continuing in Nehemiah chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be, he's going to be taking his first journey around the walls that Nehemiah uh, describes so well, uh, a historical account of what the walls look like and where locations were. Uh, there's, a, there's some good information in the book as far as, you know, spiritual guidance, an example of the Jews being returned to the land, God's faithfulness, all these lessons are confirmed in the book. But because it's got so many details of locations and historical types of settings, uh, I've got a bunch of maps and things that you get really bogged down. And we are going to get bogged down a little bit looking at the locations. Uh, you can cover the book of Nehemiah in, you know, 20 minutes if you want to. Uh, but at the same time, there's, there's 12 chapters with some great detail and... Uh, I was fortunate to have some time this summer to kind of put some things together because, you know, do some research. Not all the things as far as the locations are absolute. Some of them are. Uh, some of them are pretty absolute. Some of them are questionable. You've got one or two options of locations. Some of them you're just kind of guessing because of the sequence. You know, well, if this is here and that's there, then this has to be in between here and there somewhere. And so I've created some things, and I hopefully you'll be able to see as we go through this the things that are absolute, the things I'm kind of guessing at. But it's, in the, it's, you know, nothing different than anybody else would have to do. Although the more archaeology continues to uncover things, the more things are being revealed. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead tonight and begin reading uh, in chapter 2. We, we read last time we were here the first few verses, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, of Nehemiah again had waited after hearing his brother report about the, the terrible condition Jerusalem was in as far as the, the walls being torn down, the gates were still burnt from 586 B.C. This is 445, moving into 444 B.C. Uh, Nehemiah doesn't just right away start a petition or, you know, start a riot or run into the king and demand something. He waits four months. Now, again, we don't, we don't know the details. If he's praying, if he's doing some groundwork, if he's doing a research, uh, we don't know. We know he's the cup bearer. He's got a, an audience with the king. He's the wine bearer, which means he, he selects the wine. He tastes the wine. If it's no good, they take it and give it to somebody else. If this is good enough for the king, he matches it with the king's meal uh, and gives it to the king. In fact, he would have to go in and... Uh, most likely before the king took a drink, he'd have to pour some in his hand, drink it himself uh, right in front of the king, you know, and then the king would feel comfortable. That's not unusual because Artaxerxes' father, Xerxes, was assassinated in the inner chambers. One of the people in the palace killed his father and Artaxerxes' older brother. So Artaxerxes is now on the throne. He's been there for 20 years. And as we've talked about, we'll refer to it again tonight, one of the tense moments of this whole episode of Nehemiah is this is 444, 445, moving into 444, 20 years before, during ne Artaxerxes' first year as the king, the Jews were trying to, they'd already had the temple built, they were trying to get the walls kind of repaired and get the city up and running, and the Samaritans came down and you know, says, no, you can't do this. And they wrote a letter to the king, Artaxerxes, his first year. He's a young king. And say, this is a rebellious city. If you let them be rebuilt, Ezra records this in chapter 4, the, their letter, Artaxerxes' process, and Artaxerxes' letter. And they accuse them of being a rebellious city that n always rebels against the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and now you're in power. They're gonna, you let them rebuild it, they'll rebel against you, and you'll have no taxes or revenue coming from this area. In fact, you have to bring a military in and put down the revolt. So in 464, uh, Artaxerxes sent a letter back. It's in the recorded here in, the, uh, in Ezra. No, stop. You're not building that rebellious city. And it's not like, look how big his empire is. Where's our empire? Here it is, right back here. I mean, this is a little bitty place right here of Judah, He's got a lot of things to worry about. Just no, don't do it. And he went on in life, never thought of anything about Judah. It probably very rarely. Now, Nehemiah is going to walk in and ask him in chapter 2, the first verses. Uh, he's depressed. He's sad. Our text says, what's wrong? He says, well, why shouldn't I be upset? My, my city, my fathers, where my, my, the sepulchers of my, my grandfathers and fathers are buried. The city lies in ruins. 
And Artaxerxes is the one who says it's got to stay that way. Now, 20 years later, his response is, what do you want to do about it? And Nehemiah basically says, I, I want to go back and rebuild. He's not just going to go back on a, a, a tour. He's not just going to go back as a visitor. He's going to become the governor. Just like these, these, these territories, Samaria, Galilee, Gilead, over here in Ammon, which is, this is Eber, Nari, which is also trans-Euphrates. These days all have governors appointed by Artaxerxes. Nehemiah is going to become the governor of Judea. He's going to be one of the main players in, this whole, in the whole empire as far as being a governor of a, of a province, a satrap. And he gets full permission to go back, govern the place, and rebuild the walls. He's going to have not just permission, he's going to have paperwork. He's going to have letters as he comes all the way across this empire, going through the different territories, letters of transportation that he'll be able to transfer is himself. He's given a military escort, so when he arrives in Jerusalem or when he stops by Samaria, and he would have given the Samaritan governor a letter, says, I'm back, I'm the governor, hope we can work together. And he had a military escort, not a Jewish military escort, not a private military escort, but Artaxerxes' Persian escort is leading him around the empire. So Nehemiah is no just, you know, cupbearer or a table waiter. He is a power player with the backing of Artaxerxes, with the military escort, with paperwork for everybody to see. And he's coming back, and the, the amazing thing that the b- book records, the, 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 the biblical concept, is this is God's plan. Nehemiah is a man of faith that's going to do what God wants him to do, and all these other things are just falling in place because God is ready to rebuild Jerusalem. Nehemiah is going to be obedient and do it, and he's going to have to have all these other places just snap into place so he can get it done. And so that's where we're at in chapter 2. In chapter 2, verse uh, 11... Uh, well, we'll begin in verse 10. Uh, actually, we're going to go read verse 9. Chapter 2, verse 9. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates. This is on his way back. He leaves Susa, and he goes over here into this area. These are his contemporaries. These are the people he works with. These are, his, these are all like you've got the governor of Minnesota, the governor of Iowa, the governor of you know, Illinois. That they're all equals. He's moving in, stops by, says hi to all these governors, and says, hey, I'm the new governor of Judea. And, of course, they're like, well, you know, they're, they have to see the paperwork, and I'm, we're going to find out their attitude here in just a moment. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. Not, not just the order, but he gave them the paperwork. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. So it's just not him writing in and say, here's a letter. He comes in, and he has an escort. There'll probably be someone going in, bodyguards, because he's the governor. I mean, and this is Persia. This is right out of Artaxerxes' uh, palace. And, you know, we've already seen how glorious, you see the silver bowls they're drinking out of. It's, it's well, well taken care of. Verse 10. When Sambalay, Sambalay is the governor of Samaria, right here. The Hornite, now Hornite, we'll talk about that. that. That probably refers, there's four options, probably refers to the city that he's from, which is right here, uh, Beth Horn, which is right in this area, is probably where he's from, and that's where he was born. That's what it means, Hornite. There's three other options, but that's most likely. And Tobiah, the Ammonite official. And here's Ammon. You see right here, this is even called Tobiah. That's named Tobiah. And there's several. That's, this guy's name's recorded in history. There's predecessors of name Tobiah, and after him is going to be Tobias. In fact, the book of Maccabees is going to record this name, and it's in other documents. So these are real historical people. And so he's over here, the Ammonite. Sometimes this is, Ammon is part of trans-Euphrates, but it appears possibly he's an official of this area under the bigger umbrella of trans-Euphrates or Eber-Nari. Uh, uh, and it says right there, he's got the word official, heard about this when, when uh, Sambalet or Sambalet and uh, Tobiah heard about this, they were much disturbed, I'm reading in the NIV right now, that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Because the, these, this right here was low class. This was where they got their workforce. This is where they use this as 
if for their factories, for their work. They, this, these people had no legal rights. They were oppressed by these other people. And Samaria and Ammon and Trans-Euphrates, we're going to find out Arabia also, is prospering because of their poverty. And no one's going to help them. And they're very distressed, very disturbed that someone's here to promote these people and get them up to a standard of living that will compete with these guys. It's going to cut in on their power, their finances, their living style. Okay, verse 11, new material. Then he says, I went to Jerusalem. Notice all that is taking place before he gets to Jerusalem. He's coming back. Stas makes all these contacts. There's already an uproar. What are you doing? And then he gets to Jerusalem. And after staying there three days... So that's, I'm going to read this, otherwise I'm going to start talking. I'm going to read through it so you can hear it. After three days, as he's resting, probably resting for three days, that's what Ezra and everybody, after a long journey, they rest. I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. So that means all those letters did not say, I'm here to build a wall. He knows it. He's got a plan. But it's a very general, he's the governor, he's in charge, I'm going to be helping the Jews and Judea and Jerusalem. Something very, very general. But he hasn't told them his strategy on how he's going to get it done. Walls and gates first, and then we're going to start moving from there. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on, or animal. There's no animals. He's riding on probably... A mule, probably not a horse because they, they're going to be too noisy, snorting and stuff. Probably a mule, and he's the only one on an animal. By night, I went out through the valley gate. Ah, where's the valley gate? I'm glad you asked. I've got 13 maps up here to show you where the valley gate's at. I've got a book we're going to look at. All right. Went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well, or the dragon pool we'll talk about that and the dung gate examining the walls of jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire when 586 bc do the math 586 subtract 444 that's how many years it was the babylonian empire they ran through the end of the babylonian empire the persians have come they're now on artaxerxes it's been years and they're still burnt beams from the the structure of the gates the doors that the wooden doors they didn't swing uh, stone doors they had wooden doors with beams that would come down that there's still that timber still all burnt there so he's seeing all this Uh, its walls been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire then i moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool but there was not enough room for my mount to get through now, for years, that, of course, has meant nothing to me uh, because, well, it's just a mess, you know. And he got this little imaginary cartoon place in my mind. But I can show you, uh, and you're, I'll make it clear to you, and it's very obvious why he couldn't go any further. The terraces had collapsed, and I'll show you that. So I went up the valley by night. So he can't go along the wall. He's got to leave the process of going along the wall and just drop out into the valley and look up at the destruction and go up the Kidron Valley. Uh, doesn't tell us how far up he goes. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back. Now he doesn't go all the way around the city. He goes up somewhere along the Kidron Valley. Once he was satisfied, I'll have a couple suggestions. He then turns around and retraces his steps and comes back in and re-entered through the valley gate. The office, officials did not know where I had gone. Notice that. The, he took some men. Now, they're hand-picked men, probably, um, again, men of no authority, men that are just there to support him, maybe take notes, maybe his scribes, maybe his office staff, whoever is with him. But as far as the officials, now we're going to find out. The officials that work in Jerusalem, I'm looking for a map to point at here. i got so many of them. The people that are in Jerusalem that are running the place, they, they have fallen under the power of the higher bees, the higher ups, like Samaria, Sanballat, over here, Tobias. These people, and you're going to see it throughout the book, they control Jerusalem. So anyone that is in power has to answer to these people. 
So when he says, I didn't take any officials with me, of course not. Let's just say you're, you're uh, running for president. You're, you're not really a Democrat. You don't really have Republican backing, but somehow you've got the support of the people, or in this case, Artaxerxes, and you're going to come into the government and you're going to do your agenda, what you know to be right. Do you trust the Democrats and the Republicans? Uh, no, because they have been, they've been in power. How long have you been in power? 40 years? Some of these people have been in there since before Ezra. They've been in power. Why are you still here? How do you maintain? Well, I, actually, I work for Tobias. I work for Sanballat. So Nehemiah is not going to be like, okay, everybody, let's have a staff meeting. Let's find out where everybody... It's like, no, I'll take my staff. We're going to go out and see the, how, how big of a project is this. But right here, very clearly, the same reason some, if a, a, a president comes from the outside of the political arena, he's not going to tell everybody what his plans are uh, because you can't trust them. Otherwise, you've had 94 years... They came back in 538, it's 444, and it's not done. 94 years, something like that, and nothing's been done. It took forever to get the temple built, so why hasn't this been done? Well, someone's stopping it from getting done. I mean, think about all the log jams you get in government. Why haven't we solved this problem yet? Because there's money to be made if the problem remains. We just keep pumping money at it. When are we going to build the walls? Well, we need more money. We need more, and they just keep, nothing ever gets done. Nehemiah says, okay, I'm going to bypass all that, and we're usually going to get it done in 52 days. What couldn't get done in 94 years, he does it in 52 days. Now, you can, you can, it's a miracle, it's God's will. A lot of it is, he's from where? The inner workings of Artaxerxes' palace, where Artaxerxes' father, Xerxes, was killed on an inside job, and Artaxerxes' brother was killed, and Nehemiah is right there in the palace. Don't, he says, I was the cupbearer, I was the king's cupbearer, but do not let your mind drift down into some Sunday school level thinking, well, he was just a waiter on the table, Nehemiah, just a humble man, just a, a nobody, just waiting on the king's table. No, you don't go from being a waiter to being the governor uh, just because you complain to the king. Nehemiah knew people didn't move to see Artaxerxes unless they went through Nehemiah. Nehemiah could control Artaxerxes' palace, his agenda, his, yeah, he was in charge of the wine, but he's in charge of other things. So when it's his turn to become the governor, he knows how to play the political game. And he knows, I'll take my staff, we'll inspect the wall. But, I'll come back to the text, Verse 16, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to who? The Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. In other words, I didn't tell anybody what was going to happen. They just think it's going to be another day, just like every day, it's just more of the same. I haven't told them that we're going to build this wall. Because as soon as he does, well, you're going to find out. Here. Then I said to them, this would apparently, we don't know the time. In my mind, I think it's the next day. But also, I thought it would be the next day when Nehemiah's brother says the city remains in ruins, or the Jews are in trouble, that Nehemiah would have gone in chapter 2 right to Artaxerxes and says the very next morning, when he's bringing him his wine for breakfast, and says, you know, hey, we got to get this done. But it gives you the dates there. And it ends up being four months from hearing the complaint from his brother, four months before he talks to Artaxerxes. So I want to think, verse 16 to 17, it's the next morning. He calls everybody together and lays down his plan. That's, that's what I think. That's just the way I, my mind would work because that's the next verse. But understand, he may have done inspection. He had people taking notes, probably, had scribes, and just writing a mule around looking at stuff. He's detailing it. Maybe they're doing some kind of measurements, at least eyeballing what they're going to need. So he's probably now formulating a plan, and when he's got a plan, maybe it's the next morning. Maybe it's four months later. It doesn't tell you. 
Then I said to them, so whenever he decides I'm going to now tell the Jews, he, hasn't, he doesn't trust these people. He doesn't trust uh, the Jews, the priests, the nobles, or the Persian officials. He doesn't trust any of them. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burnt with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. He comes in and tells them first, here's what we need to do. This is what we should be doing. Yeah, but we've tried. But then I shifted up a few gears faster than they've ever seen. They said, well, we've tried. He tried it and we've had other people come in. No one can get it done. I shifted gears and let me tell you about something about me that's different than all these other guys. I told him about the gracious hand of God upon me. I was the cupbearer. I talked to Artaxerxes and he says, build it. Well, he said we couldn't 20 years ago. He says, build it. And I've got the paperwork right here. The gracious hand of God is with me. And Artaxerxes says, build it. And what the king had said to me. So I've got God on my side that has opened the door wide open. We have the backing of the Persian Empire. The Babylonians destroyed it. The Persians want to rebuild it. And I've got the paperwork from king. God is on our side, just like God was against Jerusalem in 586. He wants to build it in 444. Just like Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to burn the city. Artaxerxes says, build the city. So, I'm not like any other guy that's come in here. It has been done for 94 years, but we're going to do it. And I've got God and I've got the king on my side. Well, okay, watch. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. So the people, you know, they see that Nehemiah's got some backing, that he's going to get this done, that it's possible. They're excited. Now watch this. Remember the people who didn't trust? The Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials. Some of them are in the crowd. So he's now got public support. Public support is, let's get this done. But you've got some Democrats and Republicans out there in the group that work for the, the uh, what do you call it, the, uh, the uh, dark government, what's it called, the, the, uh, the black state, what's the dark, the deep state, right. You've got the Republicans and the Democrats working for the deep state. And so the public goes, let's do it. All the deep state employees Run to the run to Sanballat and Tobias, or Sanballat and Tobias, in verse nineteen, and say Nehemiah's got paperwork to re- he's going to rebuild the walls. He's got the financial support of the king. Okay, well we got to put a stop to this. But when Sanballat the Hornite from Samaria and Tobiah the Ammonite official, and here's a new player. Gershom, the Arab, heard about it. They mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? So those three, and here's the, the Arabs right here. We'll talk about this. This is Gershom, and he's got some interest in this. He's been, again, we'll talk about this. But the Arabs have come over here. They've driven the Edomites up into southern Judah because there's a vacuum here because Judah was crushed. Remember, Judea? used to go all the way down to the, 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 the Negev down here, and it went all the way up into here when, you know, when David... In fact, it went from here all the way up to the Euphrates River during Solomon and D- David's time. That's the land... We can go back and look at the land given to Joshua, promised to Abraham. Solomon ruled all of this. Well, now it's just this little spot right here. So the Arabs have driven the Edomites out, and they've gone up into this vacuum territory right here of southern Judea, which is now Edomia. That's where Herod comes from. And he's just, they're just, they're just going to keep coming. He's just planning on coming. So there's three guys that are upset, and they ridicule him. Now, here's his answer, verse 20. I answered them by saying, you know, when he says, I answered them, this is probably not a shouting match. It's probably not... You know, Nehemiah is giving a speech and Gershom's shouting something from over here and Tobias is shouting something from over there. These are probably letters that they report. They get some kind of letter, some kind of documentation. Nehemiah probably returns in some kind of writing. And he's not ridiculing. It's not in some kind of shouting match. He's, and I'll go through this with you. I answered them by saying, The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem, 
or any claim or historical right. He names three things. We'll go through it. He says, he doesn't, they're, they're trying to intimidate him. What is this you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? You shouldn't do this. We're going to tear down your walls. You're worthless. And they're trying to intimidate, keep these people where they're supposed to be. Nehemiah comes back with these statements right here. They're all legal. They're all uh, court documents. They're all things that are got the king, king's signature. They're historical accounts. They are uh, a share, a claim, and a right. And we'll talk about that when we get through there. So there we have, that's chapter 2 of, of Nehemiah and, and what we've got to take a look at. Now, with that being said, I'm going to introduce you to this book right here. Uh, we're going to use this until we get done with chapter 12. In fact, on uh, one of the inside cover, because the, this is mainly I built, I built this. I designed this uh, to deal with chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 12 when Nehemiah is going around the walls. Um, and I can show you here quickly. Here is the journey he takes in this chapter 2 right here. And the reason I printed this in color instead of just giving you black and white because, you know, it, one, the pictures look cooler in color, but I've color-coordinated it. And, for example, this right here, everything in the, the purple, you know, there's blue for the water, but there's purple here. These are the locations that Nehemiah is identifying in chapter 2. Then we're going to get to chapter 3, and they're going to start rebuilding. And in chapter 3, you've got this map right here. It's, it's going to be in red. And th this is amazing. In chapter 3, he starts right here at the Sheep Gate, and he begins naming all the people that are rebuilding and how far they're working and what they're wor all those places in red are mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 3. Some of these are absolutely, we know exactly where they are. Some of them we're not sure, but we know that they're between this point and this point, so it must be here because that's how it goes. And that's all in your, I've got the text in that book, and the red, when it says like the Ephraim gate or the old gate or the fish gate, that would be in red. So you can see in your book the map. And I've also broken down, giving you sections, you know, small portions of this wall. That is chapter 3, and then there's going to be all, well, here. Okay, you want to see, uh, here, this is a learning disability I got. <laughs> you see this right here? I'm not sure how that looks. If there's a, I made this, uh, I thought I might write on it, so I made it so I can write on it. But uh, it tells you who's the name of the man and his father, or the, basically the family, of who's working from this, the Tower of Haniel, the men of Jericho, from that, and them, uh, Zachar, and then the sons of Hashanai. And that's the names going, that's chapter 3. Besides naming the place in red, it tells you who was doing the building. So we can see some stones that Nehemiah set up right here that were built in Nehemiah's day. And we can pretty much know that it was Ben-Nui who set those stones up there. We can draw a circle around those stones. Those are put there by Ben-Nui. Ben you know, it's just, if, if it's right. Or if you're off a little bit, then it'd be put up there by Azariah or Palal, depending on where. But anyway, that's another map that we've got coming. And that's, those are both from chapter 3. Then chapter 4, 5, 6, there's going to be all kinds of problems and assassination attempts on Nehemiah because they, they realize that it's, it's a, they're going to have indictments and they're going to have put him, you know, have a mug shot. There are all kinds of stuff for Nehemiah trying to bring him down. And finally, in chapter 12, it's all done. He's resolved the problem. And then they're going to have the dedication. And this is where they're going to come out right here. There's their valley gate. They're going to come out here. And Ezra is going to lead the group this way. Uh, they're going to walk on the wall. Now, again, I've got pictures of me walking on the wall in there. The wall today was built in the 1500s. So you can just kind of see that idea. But they're going to walk on the wall all around like this, come in this water gate, which I've got pictures of. I've stood in this water gate. I've got pictures in the book of this right here. Exact, walked exactly where this is at right here. And then they're going to come up through this southern gate right here. Nehemiah is going to go with the group, going to go up this way and come in right here. And they're going to have a huge celebration right here in chapter 12. And it's called the dedication of the wall. So we're going to go from the night, going through just the rubble, to the ones I just showed you, they're going to rebuild it, have a bunch of conspiracies and attempts on, on his life and problems. And then this is going to be the dedication. That's what's kind of nice is 
now all that stuff would kind of make sense, potentially, as we go through it. Uh, so that's what you see in the book. Uh, so I'm going to open up to the book right here. Uh, I'm looking for the page. Oh, let's just do this. The front page, this front page is kind of, well, I had it underneath there somewhere. Oh, there it is. <laughs> this front page right here just kind of shows you some actual photographs I've taken of the locations that can match. And most of those are pretty solid. And they're, they're pretty definite. There's a few other places you could get, but that's on the front page right there, showing you the locations of the wall. Uh, then you've got the table of contents. Uh, the page three is going to show you uh, the topography. You're looking at Jerusalem from the south. So right here, if you're looking at, you're looking, standing down here. There's a, a hill down here, and you're looking up this way, and you can see I've got it kind of marked on there. Here's the picture, and I've got in red generally where Nehemiah's walls went. Now understand, we're, we're fortunate people live at this time in history, because you go back to the 1800s, They've got all kinds of crazy walls. They're trying to build the walls. They're out covering the western hill uh, where uh, Herod's palace was at. And it's part of the city today. But it's like, how did you build that in 52 days? Uh, and it's a lot of questions. And through archaeology and some other things, they've n narrowed it down to this is where that red line is very general. I'm just kind of sketching out. That's how big the wall was. And then right below that is the topography you're looking at it at a plane level you can see how high the Mount of Olives is and then how the western hill rises up and then there's a, t a view on the top see at one point this western hill that was inside Nehemiah excuse me Hezekiah built that western wall all around there that is all left in ruins and we'll talk about that that's all still in ruins during Nehemiah's time uh, so when they rebuild the city they're not rebuilding the city of of of, uh, of Hezekiah the next place is just a map, just like we see right here, just the whole map of all the places. This map is a combination of everything that is mentioned in chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 12. It's all on there. I'll say this. Um, I, I, I've, I've made some adjustments as I, I was doing this, and I've got another adjustment I wish I could make. Uh, but I had trouble. See, it says like Zadok's house, he built a, opposite of his wall, or the wall opposite his house. There's these places here. Uh, Jediah built opposite his house. Uh, here's these guys right here. Eliashub right here. Benjamin, that's his house. And they built the wall opposite their house. So as I'm putting this together, there's, there's some things you can get some references. Of course, Lean Rittmeyer always has a bunch of very excellent work because he's, he's been excavating and working and drawing these things since 1967 with Benjamin Mazur when he, they first got back in after the, after the war and they started excavating the southern part here. So Neil, uh, Lean Rittmeyer's got a lot of good insight. I mean, not good, I mean, he knows the truth. And so I, I copy a lot of his stuff. But as I was putting this together, some things I didn't know what to do. And uh, you see these houses, like Zadok's house is out here. Well, I, I, I just put it there because it's like, it's, that's where it's at somewhere. But it doesn't make sense because that just drops right down in the Kidron Valley. So he's like, so then I thought, well, it would be on the, it's a priest. Maybe they're on the Temple Mount. There's living quarters. So, it, and sometimes in your book, yeah, see where I've got it in your book on page four? See that? There's an adjustment. Look on page four. And you've got this, this, well, actually, this map. But here's my original. I had it way out here. Do you see that? I'm just so you can see how I developed. And I mean, I'm, and I'm not developed completely yet. This I put it here because I knew it was there somewhere. But then I began to realize that this wall, this eastern wall of the Temple Mount right here, today is the eastern wall of the city. And I'll show you, but in, back in this day, the eastern wall was on the outside. There's room in between here, if that makes sense. Uh, and so I, I took it from here, Zadok's house, and you see on that map there, or on the map on page 4, okay, page 4 is right in there, but you can see, okay, watch. Here's Zadok's house out here. In here, Zadok's house is on the Temple Mount. That's me. That's, this is June. This is July. And then sometime in early August, I began to realize, you know what? 
the wall, there's, there's room between the wall. So this house is right here, and they're building the wall opposite their house. And so that's why you've got one, two, three different maps, because that's me making decisions and printing stuff and going, ah! And then I put Jedediah's house right here, because it says Je- he built opposite his house. And so I was just putting a house there, and I just realized, I don't know, I was mowing the yard, or I was trying to fall asleep, whatever. I, I, and all of a sudden, Jedediah said, oh! Now, where do you think Jedediah's house should be? You can solve that problem. Do you, you see where I've got it there? I've got it there. And you see where Jedediah's house is? Well, okay, I fixed it. Oh, good, I fixed it on this before I printed. See that? I finally moved Jedediah's house inside the wall. Okay, so that, that's, again, that's not me doing archaeological work or excavating something, and that may not even be right. But nonetheless, that's how you're kind of putting these things together. All right, anyway, that's on page four. There's a bunch of information. Uh, go to page 6, and there is the notes. And we're going to do this right now, uh, if you don't mind. We'll do the map here first. So I think we can do this. Here we go. Page 6, I'm going to now read the English Standard Version on page 6. And you can see I've only got the bottom half of this map showing on there, because this is all, we'll talk about this later. Um, as we begin this, here's how this happens. This is the high part. There's a central valley running right here. You can see it on the topography. It, it's hard to see today because of so much fill and development. This is all, I mean, and destruction. This has all kind of been filled in. If you're running, and I've ran around Jerusalem several times, but you can, you can have to run up. You can feel this running uphill, all this. From here, you're running uphill. Then up here, you've got to run up Mount Moriah. It's not high, but you're definitely, if you're running, you know if you're going uphill, down here, running flat. You can just feel it. The older you get, the more you can tell. And I, get, uh, I, I can remember running up here, but then right even in here, there's a little dip. It's not really a valley, but you're definitely going downhill. Then you start to rise again on the western hill. So even today, the topography, I can tell there's a dip there. And you can, if you look at it, you can tell. But it's not, this was a lot more obvious of a valley. The Kidron Valley, the Central Valley... Then this is the western hill that rises, that they eventually came and settled on, and Hezekiah had to build this wall out here around it in 701 B.C. This remains rubble. They don't, they, this is just a junkyard. Uh, but there's another valley come over here. The Hinnom Valley runs down here and then cuts across right here. And all three valleys meet. Kidron meets the Hinnom and the Central Valley plays right into the Hinnom right here at this location. And then the, the, and then the Kidron continues to run down into the uh, ravine, down all the way to the Dead Sea. But they all meet right here. Kidron, Central, and then the Hinnom Valley curves around right there. Now, you can't attack Jerusalem from this side because you've got to come out of a valley. You can't attack from this side because it's, you've got to come up a valley. Plus, there's this, the city on this side. They did, the Babylonians did attack right here. You can find Babylonian arrowheads right here. Uh, and you can't attack, and I'll show you some pictures. I wish I could show you some video. But you're just not going to attack going up this hill. But it all rises this way and continues to rise. So when you attack Jerusalem, if you're the Babylonians, uh, if you're Sennacherib and getting ready to, that Sennacherib came and talked to him this side. If you're the Romans, you're going to attack right here on the north. So... When Nehemiah gets here and he starts looking at it, just, just based on topography, just based on the history, this is destroyed. This, there's nothing left here. Uh, this, is, this has been totally, uh, you've got maybe remains, you know, foundation work, but this to- needs to be totally rebuilt. This is not as bad, but it, it's been destroyed. But you're going to notice down into here, actually, in Hezekiah's day, or we should say 586, this wall was inside the city, inside this wall. Do you understand? So this wall is not, although it it's, needs to be rebuilt, it's not going to need as much work. And that's why when we start saying from here to there, there's not as many people working. It's like it's, a lot of it's done, or they just need to be you know, cleaned up a little bit. Then you come around here, and if you've, and I've got, I, again, wish I had, could show you some video, and I've got pictures in the book trying to explain this to you, and we'll talk about it more. But right here, this is a steep drop, boom. You're looking straight down. 
Uh, this was David's palace. This is the city of the Jebusites. The city of the Jebusites David took was right here, generally right here. And they had the fortress. The fortress of the Jebusite city was where? On the north side of the city. The palace and the fortress that David took were right here against the northern wall. How come? Because if anyone ever attacked Jerusalem, they had to come in from the north. And so the Jebusites, this was the fortification. And so David occupied the fortress. The Bible talks about David being in the fortress and building a palace right here. And this is all to expand the city. They would build terraces. They built terraces out here where they'd build some kind of a retaining wall, give yourself some flat ground. Then they'd build another retaining wall and then build houses on top of houses. And this whole area was just terraces of houses. You just, you've seen cities like this, especially in other countries, like you know along the coast or something, uh, just houses on top of each other going up. Well, when, this, when the Babylonians, they didn't necessarily attack here, but they did burn it. And this is where they found, if you, if I'm way off subject, this is where they found, they're excavating this in the 60s, Catherine Kenyon excavated it. Uh, recently, uh, Benjamin Mazur's granddaughter, Eliot, uh, has excavated it. She's the one who found David's palace. Uh, great story there. And again, I, I, that could go on for weeks. Uh, but they've been excavating this, and they found, uh, for example, the burnt room. And in the burnt room, they also found uh, uh, the cuneiform, not the cuneiform, uh, the bula, the seals that were on the written documents. The bula house is right here with many bulas with names inscribed on like a coin. They've been pressed in with someone's seal. Uh, some of the people's names were in the book of Jeremiah, some of the officials, because they were the ones who sealed documents for the government, and they put Jeremiah in prison. That's what they recorded in the scriptures. But they found their bula right here with their names and their father's names on there because all the papyrus or whatever the documents were made out of were burnt, but those bula, the clay seals, remained. They found those all right there, but that all came tumbling down. So when Nehemiah gets over here, this is just a collapsed terrace all the way down the Kidron Valley. And he's going around the wall. He's going around the wall. Okay, it look bad. It look bad. Okay, looking at it. Okay, we, okay, I see what you got. Holy smokes. It's like, it's like, and here's what he says. I went out into the valley and continued up the valley inspecting the wall. So he's, I know what he's doing down there, and, and you would too. I mean, he's not, not walking by looking at the wall like this. He's looking at the wall like this. He's looking up out of the Kidron Valley, looking at just the collapse of just, and he, they're not going to rebuild this. They're not going to rebuild this. Notice where the wall's at. The wall is where? Right up here on the crest. They go right, they, the wall's built right up here. They just leave this all trashed. This right here, they don't go out here and rebuild this. They refer to it. They refer to the, the broad wall. They don't rebuild this. They cut off and just rebuild right along. The Central Valley rises up right here. That's where they built the wall. They come around here. The Kidron Valley peaks out right here. That's where they built the wall. And they come up here and enclose the temple. So that's important to understand. This is totally devastated. This needs to be rebuilt. But this was inside the city of 586. It's not as bad. This, we'll, we'll see how he goes around here. But he can, identi- he can identify these places. He can see the gates. But when he gets in here, it's like, oh, he turns and goes way out in the Kidron Valley and then comes up here. Now, here we go. Reading on page 6. A lot of these things we've already talked about, but mainly what we're looking at right now is we're identifying the locations. I'm giving you a little bit of background, maybe show you some pictures. Chapter, page 6, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. That's, we've already read that tonight. That's him going through, coming back to Jerusalem, going through all the provinces. He's meeting with all the governors and the satraps. Verse 10, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Now, again, he met with them, at least he met with their officials, and they're not happy. What are you doing here? We've got this under control. They, we, they work for us. Everything's fine. We don't need your hand in this. They don't know he's going to rebuild the walls. They just know he's here to help the Jews. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days recovering. Verse 12. Now here's our material that I'm looking at. Then I arose in the night. So I assume this would be after the third day. I and a few men with me. No names, probably staff, people that he can trust. 
He doesn't take an escort. He doesn't, maybe a couple guys that he trusted that could show him around the city. Uh, but he's not, he's not bringing people in. What, what are your ideas? What are your thoughts on this? No, there's no, there's no collaboration. He doesn't care what you think. You've had 94 years to think. I don't care what you think, and I know what I'm doing. So these guys are trustworthy and not necessarily idea men. And I told no one what my God had put in my, into my heart to do for Jerusalem. Meaning they have no idea. I just want to go out and, you know, maybe say, I don't know. Maybe say, I just need some fresh air. I just can't sleep. I've been sleeping for three days. I just need some. I just want to go out and just see the city. I don't get it out. It's like, it's always too crowded during the day. I'm not sure if he made that up or not. But they didn't know that they're inspecting the wall. Like I said, they're taking notes. Maybe they weren't taking notes. Maybe he's just taking mental notes. Uh, there was no animal with me, but the one on which I rode. And again, they all don't have a, a, a military escort. He's riding on a mule, probably. It doesn't say a mule, it says an animal. I don't think it's a horse. There'd be too much snorting, too much noise, you know, trotting and stuff. A mule, just a very calm animal riding around. Okay. I went out by night by the valley gate. And that is right here. The valley gate is this one right here. And that would be leading into the valley the central valley that would be so he goes out here notice what where, where where he goes out at it is possible see david's palace is right here it's possible something has been rebuilt or something is here and he's staying in this area that's not a slam dunk that's not for sure but that may be where he's staying because he goes out this he's always going out this gate right here so there may be a royal presence here they have found persian evidence of persian settlements in this area in, as they excavate. I mean, the, the people, even they've even found like coins and, and bula uh, from, that, from the Persian time period with Persian symbols on it, with Jewish names, with Persian symbols uh, in this area. So that's just speculation. I went out by the valley gate to the dragon spring. Now, the dragon spring, there's, it's, a, it's a source of water. It's a flow of water. It's not a pool. It's a spring. It, it could be called the dragon spring or the jackal spring. Both, both those words are used. Uh, dragon comes out of, from the Hebrew word, which was a mystical beast, a mystical creature. Uh, but it's a spring of water. Now, we don't know where it's at. There's nothing called the dragon spring or the spring of the jackals that we know of. So keep that in mind. And to the dung gate. Now we know where the dung gate's at. The dung gate is always on the south side. Today it's still on the south side. It's always here. This is where dung would go. The dung, the waste, the junk, the trash would go out and be thrown into some kind of a dump pile out here in the Hinnom Valley. Now again, many people build on that quite extensively. Sometimes they build too far with it. But the Hinnom Valley, or Guiana, the Valley of Guiana, this is where we get the word Guiana, or translated hell, the ever-burning fire. Jesus refers to Guiana. He's referring to the Valley of Guiana, or the Valley of Hinnom. This is what he's talking about. So this is where they use, they use in fact, right in this, even today, coming down this way, it's very green, grassy, uh, it, it's, it's a very beautiful, and I, I've got, I've walked down here all by myself one time, just went all the way around, I got pictures in my living room and my family room, if you look, I'm standing right here in the Hinnom Valley taking pictures of, of, of just the, the olive trees and different things down here, but this is where the, the, they used to have the groves, and during Manasseh's reign, uh, that's where they had the, 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 the tofeth, which means the burner, where they would have these burners where they would have, they were, they'd put the children and burn the children in the fire in, in the Hinnom Valley. And uh, that's where they'd have loud music and bands because the children would be screaming as they were being burnt alive. And, and they'd have, you know, all kinds of wild, drug-induced parties going on down here as they sacrificed their children in the fire. Manasseh did it with his, made the children pass through the fire. Well, when Josiah comes on the scene, he tore it all down and turned this, this valley of Guiana, turned it into a trash heap. This is where you dump your trash. Just basically tore down their party houses, or whatever, the religious, whatever they were doing. Uh, 
So anyway, the dung gate, again, that all kind of ties together, but the dung gate is right here. They're, they would just take the garbage out. So valley gate, dung gate. Now, right here, and again, as far as, are you guys enjoying this at all? Are you all right? Are you like, good night, this is way too much information. <laughs> okay. But nonetheless, we, and there's so much background here, and, and some of these things that we're absolute about, some of them we're piecing together, and I've already explained that. I, here's Zadok's, you know, it's like, ah, I'm still moving. Now, by the time I get done teaching this, I may come back and go, okay, throw all these away, I've got to make all new stuff. You're, you're gonna, we're going to be learning. Nonetheless, right here, is water you can still see it today coming out right here because this blue line right here is hezekiah's tunnel this is the Gion springs this was why probably jerusalem was built where it's built it's 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 on a ridge protected by valleys you've only got to guard the north and you got the water source right here that is still pumping water today a continuous flow depending on the seasons the Gion Spring is still pumping water. It used to flow out here. There'd be a, a the Canaanites cut, cut a tunnel, and I've got pictures of that. They cut a tunnel like this from the top down, and then they took and they d- dropped stones in on the top of it. So they dropped big stones in on top, so that then they had, an, uh, they, instead of digging through the ground, they dug down into the ground. The water would flow from the Gion Springs down this way into what is called the King's Pool or the Artificial Pool, or whatever pools they had down here. And this was where the king's gardens were. They talk about the king's garden. This was very well vegetated because of a continuous flow of water, irrigated. But they had the, the, the Canaanite tunnel. You can see it today. Uh, and you, see, you can see the rocks they dropped in as they, they covered it up. Hezekiah, when he was going to be invaded, the, all his fortified cities are being destroyed, 701. Every fortified city in Judah was destroyed by Sennacherib. last one was Lachish. Ezekiah was gone. Lachish, uh, in fact, when he was destroying Lachish, he came up and started talking to uh, Hezekiah, one of his, his, his uh, generals. Uh, Hezekiah had been getting ready for this invasion because he's the last one standing. I mean, so, I mean we, we could go down that road. But he cuts through the bedrock. Remember, this is not a flat map. This is a rock ridge right here that rises up like that with a higher mound over here, Mount of Olives, and a higher mound over here, the Western Hill. But this is a rock ridge. Hezekiah had men start here and started tunneling through that rock. He had men start on this side over here and started tunneling in like this. No one knows how they did it. They do not know how they did it. You're tunneling through rock underground, and they meet right here. You can see where they met. Blindly in the rock, they're going this way. They don't have GPS. They don't have their cell phones. They're just somehow, maybe they did. I don't know. But they somehow they meet right here. And they put an inscription at the end where it comes out. They described it in an inscription. They chiseled it in, in ancient Hebrew. The, they, they took it out. The Ottoman Empire took it out and put it in Constantinople in the museum. Uh, you can go see it. And there's just right there, it's just a big hole in the wall where you used to have the inscription of Hezekiah. Many things. You can read the Jerusalem book. Many details about this. And the water flows slightly downhill all the way to here. Now, it's amazing. They cut, and, and they don't have, like, large drop-offs and stuff. It's just, just like this grass, just all the way down. And, again, the measurements are, you know, just like it's just a very fine drop so that the water goes this way. They stopped using this because when the Syrians came, they could drink this water. But Hezekiah says in the Scriptures, he says, why should the king of Assyria come here and find water? Tunnel through here and bring it over here. And notice it's inside the city. See, the western wall is in the middle of Hezekiah's city, in protected by the walls. And so, obviously, Sennacher have never made it here. But that's how the water flows, and it flows into this right here, Pool of Siloam, which is referred to in the New Testament. Now, right here, until 2004, I was having Bible studies. Generation Word was having Bible studies. And we did not know where the Pool of Siloam was. It had not been found yet. Uh, This was the Pool of Siloam. In fact, if you look in your 
your Bible handbooks, your Bible dictionaries. It's going to, in fact, I'll show you. Yeah, turn to page 7. There it is. That is the picture of the Pool of Siloam on page 7 before 2004. Many of you were alive at that time. Now, that you, I'm looking right here. I'm standing that picture. I'm looking. I'm standing right here looking this way. And so where you see that arch, there's a little kind of a, on the left side, a little bit of a little uh, ravine there that doesn't make contact. That goes around the corner and goes into Hezekiah's tunnel. So that water, and you can, that's water right there. It's very still. That water right there is water that had, comes from the Gion Springs, and I've walked through here several times, five, six times. Start here and walk in water, because it's flowing. You walk in water all the way through here. Sometimes it's higher, depending on where you're at. Sometimes it's up to you. I have never gone through with my, high, as my chest, but you can, it can't get that high. You walk about, about three football fields in just black rock. Just, it's just black, unless you bring a flashlight. And, of course, I bring a flashlight, and I bring Tony. And... Uh, <laughs> And, we, and you walk through, if you shut the flashlight off, you're, in, you're underneath in the middle of rock in a cutout tunnel from 701 B.C. And you're standing in water in total darkness. If you're by yourself, you don't hear, you don't hear anything. If there's a group of kids behind you or in front of you, all you hear is kids screaming. And I had that disappointing experience one time down there trying to take pictures. And all of a sudden there's a, some tour group coming through their grade school kids or something. And nonetheless, ruined my photos. Anyway, okay. Anyway, what am I talking about? The water flows out right here. And this is what they thought was the Pool of Siloam. Those, those, those cylinder pillars you see right there, those, the base, those were the, the, the base holding up a floor of what is called the Siloam Church built by the Byzantine Empire, the Christian Empire, say 300s, 400s, 500s. And they would, they'd have a church service, but you could go over here and look down into the, what they thought was the Pool of Siloam. Because by that time, the Pool of Siloam had been lost and covered up. So that was where the, that, that's the remains of the Siloam church. That was all torn down by the Persians. The Persians came in about 614, not the Muslims, just about 50 years before the Muslims, but the Persians came in and tore all the Christian churches down. The only one they spared, this is sad, for archaeological reasons and history, history all the great churches that they built, including this church, are gone. The church they spared, which is very interesting, and it, it creeps you out when you get there because it's like it's so religious and it's so old, uh, uh, is the church of the nativity in Bethlehem, built over the cave where Jesus was born. Uh, even uh, Helena and, and Constantine, his mom, Helena, they, they, you can still see the, the floor they put down, the walls are still there. But when the Persians came in to burn this church down, the church of nativity, there was three big murals on the wall of Persians. Three guys that came from the east to worship. And it's like, that's our people. Don't burn this place. And they went on. So they left the church of nativity standing there because it had three Persians they looked just like them as far as their dress. It was their culture, so they didn't burn the church nativity. But for example, this church of Siloam, where'd it go? They tore it down. Again, many stories we could go on like that. My point right here, this is a spring of water. It's, it, you don't know where it comes from. If you're here in 444 B.C. or any time since 586 B.C., you don't know where this water's coming. It just comes right out of the ground right here. Well, no, it comes out of a tunnel, that's coming from the other side of the city. And it's still, it's, it's like, it's not even hypothetical. I've walked, in the, I've watched the water. And then seriously, it comes in now today, it fills up, it runs in a channel behind the pool of Siloam. They found that in 2004, and they're fully excavated. They just excavated, it's, it's a step, stepped stones, you can see it in the book. They're now excavating the rest of it right here. M many things say, but when I first walked through it in 2007, this had just been found. All the water came through a tunnel, and then I followed it, where did it go? And it went out into the street and down a drain. I, was, I, I walked all over, following this water, taking pictures, taking pictures of the Pool of Siloam that I'd seen ever since I was a kid in Sunday school books and handbooks. And it wasn't the Pool of Siloam anymore because he kept going, and here's the Pool of Siloam. Where's this water go? Just like Ezekiel, follow the water. I follow the water, down into the street, down a drain. It's like just 
Okay, there it goes. The very anticlimactic. My point. Some people think uh, the dragon spring or the jackal spring could be this king's pool, or it could be in Rogel. This is down here, another spring down here. This is where the kings, like Solomon, this is where the kings were anointed down here in the king's garden. There's another pool in Rogel right down here where the, all the valleys meet. So they've got different ideas. I'm saying, and other people do too, that the dragon spring is between the valley gate and the dung gate. When he goes by here, the water's just flowing out, and no one knows where it comes from. Nehemiah doesn't know all the details of Hezekiah's tunnel. Uh, maybe, maybe not. But they call that the dragon spring or the, jack, the jackal spring. That's what's there. Okay, are you okay yet? Eight o'clock, okay. Let me finish verse 14. Then, uh, okay, uh, verse 13. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring. That'd be right here where the water comes out of Hezekiah's tunnel. And to the dung gate, which would be on the south. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. So I'm, he's inspecting all the damage, especially right down here where these gates have been burnt by fire. Uh, I'd like to go back and get some more pictures of some things there. Uh, then I went up in the night by the valley. So now he's going up the Kidron Valley like this, going up this way. And he's going to go by... Uh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, where did I... Back to the wall, okay, they were broken down, I got lost here. Then I went out to the fountain gate. Oh, I skipped a verse, that's what I did. Okay, I skipped verse 14, I've got to quit. Then I went on to the fountain gate. Now this would be the fountain gate leading to uh, the fountain, maybe it's a gate leading to this fountain here, or the water source. Remember, the, the, the Canaanite water flows down this way, and, the, and they continue to build canals. There's the king's pool here. But this would be called the fountain gate that they'd go out to get water on this side of the city, called the Fountain Gate, uh, and to the King's Pool. And the King's Pool would be right in here, the King's Garden, where, the, where I talk about the Canaanite water or tunnel, the ch- channel running down here, filling that up. And then, of course, that had been developed since the days of the Canaanites and the Jebusites, and especially by Solomon, had the King's Gardens were down here. Um, uh, and to the fountain gate, and to the king's pool, and there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. So when he gets right past here, this is where he had to stop, because all these terraces are just collapsed. Uh, and I entered by, uh, uh, then I turned by night up the valley, so he goes out here, and goes up, we don't know how far up here he went, but he goes up somewhere, and then turns around and comes back the same way, and enters the valley gate. Let's do this very, I'm just going to show you the pictures, I'm going to quit. Uh, go to uh, page 8, and I'm going to review this next week. On page 8, you can see, uh, I've got right here a picture of, see the line? You can see Hezekiah's tunnel, or yeah, the tunnel, the Gion Spring, Hezekiah's tunnel. I've got a dot right here with an arrow or a line pointing. That's me walking through the tunnel. This is where you come out right here. There's the steps where you come out of the tunnel. And there's that same picture of where the water flows into the old Siloam, Pool of Siloam, or the Dragon Springs. And then there's, the, there's a picture of me standing in the Pool of Siloam right there. On page 9, there you've got a, a, an arrow, a dotted line, where Nehemiah's mule would have ridden. You see, he's coming right on here. This is Nehemiah, that dotted line. This is going right past the Dung Gate and turning to go up. He's coming down the Hinnom Valley and turning to go up the Kidron Valley. And that's that white line. That's one of the pictures I took. And as you look at that, you can see where the Dungate's up the hill. I'm on page 9. And I'm going, I'm going east. Does that make sense, that picture? Uh, there's another picture just like it. There's actually a road there. You see where the road turns. Uh, I've got a little arrow pointing to Enrogel. would be down that way. The city of David in the Kidron Valley. Nehemiah would have gone just like that on page 9. And then when you get to page 11, now I'm standing up here on the, on the crest of the, on the hill where David's palace would be right behind me. And I'm standing on top of what is called the stepstone structure and I'm looking down into the Kidron Valley. All that used to be terraces. It was highly developed. That's where royalty lived. And all their, 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 their people that worked for them. But I'm looking down in the Kidron Valley. Turn the page. On page 12, I've got it circled. That's the Gion Springs. There's a, a building over the Gion Springs. Right here, it's still pumping water. There's water still coming out of the ground right there. And that building is on the Gion Springs. And you can see how high you are. Coming out of that building, going to your right, 
uh, is the beginning of Hezekiah's tunnel going all the way underneath that. And I'm standing again at the top of this ledge right up here looking down in the Kidron Valley. So you get an idea. And all that has been, not all of that has been excavated, but much of it has been excavated. Uh, Page 13, you're looking at a closer look at the Gion Springs. Page 13, the bottom picture, I'm standing here, are you ready, looking this way. So that, that's looking up. If you go just to the right, top right of the corner, if I take, if I would get, turn the camera just a little bit more, you could catch the corner of the Temple Mount right here, just, just to your right there. And that's the Mount of Olives. In fact, you can see one, two, three summits. You see the, the I'm looking this way. You see the, that's the Mount of Olives, and you see the three little peaks of the Mount of Olives. Those are the three summits of the Mount of Olives. Ah, and then page 14, we end with a great picture of myself. Uh, and that's me standing where the terraces were. I'm standing in front of the stepstone structure right here that was holding up David's palace, which is right above it. And I've got an arrow drawn right there, Nehemiah stones. He did not build... I'm standing outside of Nehemiah's walls. I'm standing right down here in the rubble, kind of just partway down the hill. Uh, the Kidron Valley would be to, to the left of the picture. Um, but you can see at the very top of there, this is where the stones would have been set, and we know who would have put them in that general area. Anyway, I'll clean that up next week. We'll talk more about it. Uh, I appreciate you being attentive and paying attention. Bring your notes back next week. So I'll pray, and I do appreciate you being here because I really like looking this up, researching it, and uh, it's fun to be able to tell somebody about it. And Tony especially thanks you for listening to me because well, one person can only hear so much and walk through Hezekiah's tunnel so many times until we've done this, Galen. We've already seen this. But it's a different day. It may be different. So she appreciates it. I'll pray and you're free to go. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We thank you for the history you've provided for us. We thank you for the word. We thank you for the plan you had for the Jews, the plan you have for the Jews, and how you've been working a plan of salvation for our own lives from the beginning of time. Father, we do thank you for these things and are excited for the fact that you could do the things in Nehemiah's day and they're continuing to be done in our day as you work towards the future of what you're going to accomplish. We do thank you for letting us be part of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, thank you for being here.